just dead. Ain't no Chris Angel mind freak David Blaine trapped all horse shit jumping off here. Hey, you want to get on the train here or you want to ruin another take, huh? There ain't no goddamn takes. Ain't no goddamn motion picture. You sure? Oh, yeah. Yeah? For a certain man. Why are you still in character? Hmm? I know, but I don't have to tell you. You don't know. Man, I don't drop character till I've done a DVD commentary. Hello and welcome to the Lone Acting Nominees Podcast, a show where I'm joined each week by a guest to discuss a movie that only received one Oscar nomination, that being for one of its performances. We'll talk about the performance in question, the movie as a whole, and its place in the Oscar race, among other things. I'm Gordon McNulty, and this week I am joined by Gal Balaban to discuss Robert Downey Jr.'s Oscar-nominated performance in the 2008 film Tropic Thunder. Gal, good to have you on the show. Great to be here. I've been, I've listened here and there to some of the episodes. I really like the concept. I've been following your page for years and I'm, uh, I'm really excited to be here talking about a great movie. Yeah. Yeah. This was a, uh, we were talking a little bit before we started recording, but this was like a movie that we've both seen enough that we probably could have done this episode without rewatching it. But like, it was, it was worth the rewatch. It's a, this is a really fun movie. This, this movie more or less holds up. There's no wrong time to put on Tropic Thunder and rewatch it. I feel like it's one of those where you just look for an excuse to rewatch it. Yeah. Um, all the time. And it's not your classic Oscars movie where there's yeah. like some heavier parts um to rewatch. This is just a fun movie from start to finish. And I actually uh I think I watched the director's cut this time. I think I did it too. Was, yeah. I think 10 minutes longer. It was like two yeah. hours and one minute instead of an hour and forty-five. So I I yeah, on some some new stuff there. Yeah, there's there's a few little like it, it doesn't add a ton. There's like a a few extended scenes or like scenes that get extended a little bit, and then like one scene near the beginning that seems entirely new. But uh, yeah, it, it was an interesting, fun time to revisit. Uh, yeah, al- always worth a revisit, especially for like people that are into movies like this this is there's a lot of in jokes in this that are even like surface level in jokes just like bill Hader wearing the like the ball cap from the scent of a woman production just uh, uh there's just oh, stuff yeah. like that that's this it's it's a fun movie it's a it's a very fun you want to talk about how danny mcbride lost his finger during the production of driving miss daisy yes and almost like almost blinded jamie lee curtis on the set of freaky friday as as a uh-huh. as a uh, pyrotechnics all those pyrotechnics and driving miss daisy and freaky friday it's a lot of good jokes it's a very funny movie and yeah like you said not your typical oscar fair so this is gonna be probably a slightly different episode than i'm used to <laughs> like how do you do like a like a uh, I mean, we, we like to keep it light on this show. We're not super, you know, down and dirty with the mechanics of of the filmmaking to begin with. But like, how do you talk about a movie like Tropic Thunder at, on like a analytical level? There, there's there's going to be stuff to talk about. There's a lot of stuff to talk about with this movie, but it's mostly just, man, this is a really funny movie. Let's recite back the jokes from it's the movie. Yo, I simple like. Jack, like yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, so we are talking about Tropic Thunder from 2008, directed by Ben Stiller, written by Ben Stiller, Justin Thoreau, and Eaton Cohen, starring uh, Deep Breath, because this is a huge cast, Ben Stiller, Jack Black, Robert Downey Jr., Brandon T. Jackson, Jay Baruchel, Nick Nolte, Steve Coogan, Danny McBride, Bill Hader, Brandon Suhu, Reggie Lee, True Tran, Matthew McConaughey, and Tom Cruise, 
with a whole bunch of cameos, including uh, Tobey Maguire, Maria Menounos, Tyra Banks, Martin Lawrence, Jason Bateman, uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt, Lance Bass, uh, John Voight, Sean Penn, whole bunch of people in this one. Uh, and it opened. John Voight cameo is phenomenal. It's so good. Him getting so mad about that Oscar. <laughs> it's like the Oscar goes to ah oh, shit. It's such a good bit oh, to have God. him right in front of him. I I love it so much. <laughs> um, uh, opened August thirteenth, two thousand eight. Did pretty well at the box office. Not as like not as much as I thought it had made. Like I went in, I I, I checked like oh what are the highest grossing R rated comedies? Because uh, it seems like this would be up there. It made like one hundred and ninety five million or something worldwide and it's not near the top of like the the highest grossing r-rated comedies but it's still pretty good for a movie like this for a movie that is relatively niche in interest like everyone knows movies you know but it, it it's more niche on, on the like filmmaking level and in jokes like we were mentioning but uh uh yeah that's the movie we're talking about and let's jump right in and talk about robert downey jr as Kirk Lazarus, as Lincoln Osiris in this movie. That's right. It was Osiris something. So yeah. of course he's the dude playing the dude. Um, Disguised as another Disguised as another dude. That's right. Yeah. And he's the man who does not drop the character till he's done the DVD commentary, which apparently if you watch the DVD commentary, it's Kirk Lazarus, uh, which I love. Yeah. He's a five-time Oscar winner, so more than Meryl Streep. Uh, more, more than Catherine than- Hepburn. Yeah, and Catherine Hepburn even more than Daniel Day Lewis, and um, yeah, I mean from from the get go, you can tell that he's like a a spoof of how intense method acting is, which is a, is a discussion that comes up every couple of years because like there's a whole history of like asshole behavior on set or the stories of like, because people are staying in character, and this guy like takes it so far that he has a surgical procedure. Like makes him like blackface, brownface, etc. And yeah. um, and of course he has like so many great uh, moments. I don't know where we want to start, but of course he has that scene with Ben Stiller where they're talking about Simple Jack because it's kind of like a semi-Oscar like bait in his career because yeah. it's one of the yeah it's one of those like Oscar baits that backfired like a hillbilly elegy, I guess. Yeah, very hillbilly. Music by Sia. Um. Yes. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. Once again, like this gets brought up with like this movie and Walk Hard of like these kind of killed a certain type of movie, but like you see those creeping back. You're seeing music is very much a, a simple Jack type failure. Uh, that's a very good comparison there. Um, I actually it, recently watched. Um, Tears of the Sun, starring Bruce Willis. And I wrote in my letterbox review, this is the exact kind of movie Tropic Thunder sets out to parody. Because yeah. it's all like America and they're all like posing for for the camera. It felt like it was like it was definitely trying to, to spoof like basically the idea of acting while still like being a love letter to the love of acting. Yeah. Even though the business of it is so absurd with People like we'll get to him later because he deserves his own uh his own part in this episode, but Mr. Grossman, we'll talk more about him. Yeah, God, yeah. Um yeah, I, I feel like we 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 can't ignore the fact up top that Robert Downey Jr. is in blackface here. This is something that, you know, 
gets brought up a lot and is to to some degree or another controversial and we're not like we're two white guys on a podcast we're not going to solve <laughs> the debate about whether or not this is okay this that's not for us to decide but like people have talked about this performance and this portrayal in years since then like and, and like prominent african-american people have talked about it and discussed whether or not this is okay or or however you want to uh uh talk about it but like for one worth noting and 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 like this is the biggest sort of pass that the movie gets in pulling this off is that he's not it's not robert downey jr playing a black character he's playing a delusional white guy that thinks it's okay to play mm -hmm. a black character which is like the like i i, I watched the trailer uh uh this morning to prepare because i wanted to like see if this was something that was you know known ahead of time that robert downey jr was going to be in blackface in this movie and like the his introduction in the trailer is that clip from like the access hollywood whatever uh kirk lazarus has gone through this like skin darkening procedure so like right up top in the trailer you know that he's not just straight up in blackface there's levels to it so you have yeah. that that remove from it and you're right it, it is very much aping the sort of like hollywood uh uh egotism of of these method actors thinking that they can get away with this for the sake of the art for the sake of like raw authenticity when it's like the least authentic thing you can do in this case and, and it's you know it's asking some questions that hollywood still is asking of like well why is this not okay but for example like an abled actor playing a disabled character or a straight actor playing a gay character like what are the lines we draw and like there aren't solid lines there there are it's, it's a lot of gray area but like blackface is bad i think we can all agree on that one and they it's it's a really fun uh you know hol holding up a mirror to hollywood itself um just because like he he's so into it he's so in deep that you kind of just have to like gawk at him of like how how <laughs> are you possibly doing this and not getting beaten up it's because he's so confident in it, when, like to a fault, to to an extreme fault. Because he's he has no right to be confident in it. But it's so funny watching him, just like fully live this character. Especially because you have Brandon T. Uh, Brandon T. Jackson there, an actual black man, to like keep pushing back against. So I think that is like kind of the he's like the hidden gem in this movie grounding Downey's performance because if you don't have him there to be like you're a fucking moron and this is offensive and horrible if, if you don't have that character there Downey kind of like is lost at sea and and uh, this is a great ensemble piece already everyone's working off each other really well but I feel like Downey especially is playing off of his co-stars really well in a way that makes him just shine in this movie can we go to that for a sec because um his scenes with brandon t jackson i love um brandon t jackson i don't know if he's done that much lately i know i saw him in percy jackson oh yeah he is this. 
he's Grover in Percy Jackson. He's yeah. his best friend. Uh, he's a satyr, so he's got, I think, goat legs. Um, but he hasn't done that much lately. I'm always rooting for the guy, but I guess this was his breakout performance, and he plays Al Pacino, which yeah. it's the most childish thing ever, and I still think it's like A-plus comedy writing. It's a perfect stupid reason. joke. I love it so much. Um, and then... <laughs> And then he, so yeah, he's always pushing back and it's like, he's, he's basically the comedic relief, loud black guy in this movie playing the comedic relief, loud black guy in the Tropic Thunder movie within a movie. And he's like, like this guy is, um, is like, there's literally a black role. And this guy who everyone is obsessed with the transformation about is being cast over someone like me, who's actually. I've been through the black experience and it reminded me having rewatched it I drew the line between this and a key and peel sketch I don't know if you've watched a lot of their stuff yeah they have um they have it and I guess a sketch where there's one it's a gangster movie scene and Keegan-Michael Key is like a British actor who's been cast as oh yeah <laughs> guy in the hood and Jordan Peele is a guy who actually grew up in the hood and is now taking up acting and the director is always like praising Keegan-Michael Key for how he's diving into the performance and he's like uh, and he tells Jordan Peele like I'm I don't feel like you actually went through this like you like you grew up in the hood show us that you were poor and everything he's like but this all actually happened to me and it shows how obsessed we are not obsessed but it's definitely this amazing thing the transformation the disappearance of a character uh, per se, I don't know how great these examples are, but something like Christian Bale in Vice, who looks nothing like the character and takes on that voice, like the chameleon actor. We love that as audience members. Yeah, um, and especially as Academy voters. Like, it's only gotten worse since Tropic Thunder with, like, you look at Best Actor and almost all of the, the winners since this movie have been, like, transformational either playing a real person or like gary oldman rami malek eddie redmayne uh matthew mcconaughey to talk about a co-star from this movie like even like supporting actors christian bale it it happens a ton and this movie uh uh is aware of that is keenly aware i mean the oscars get brought up a lot in this movie and i feel like that helps lend uh uh voters in 2008 to to like give a movie like this credit in, in terms of like getting an oscar nomination because this is one of those that like it's a well-known enough movie that you can mention it to someone that doesn't know anything about the oscars and be like hey isn't it wild that robert downey jr got an oscar nomination for that and they'll like agree with you like yeah that is wild how did that happen and like even now like as a person that is that hosts this podcast and talks about the Oscars a bunch. I still, it's hard to wrap my head around the fact that this nomination happened. And I feel like it's just like a confluence of a bunch of like good fortune to, to some, like it's, it's all circumstantial where you have, this is the year of Iron Man, which is big. This is Robert Downey Jr. Making his mega comeback that he's still soaring from where it's, the year of Iron Man, Sherlock Holmes is around the corner. He's making a ton of money. This movie's a big hit. He's playing a, a fictional Oscar winner that is like making fun of Hollywood while still, you know, being a love letter to Hollywood, like you said. 
And so there's that level of credibility of like, oh, it's not just a big studio comedy. It's not just like an Apatow movie. This isn't just like, oh, let's throw an Oscar nomination to, I don't know, Wedding Crashers for the sake of it. Like, it's about Hollywood. So that that gives it a whole boost in its favor. No, it's a good point. Yeah. It's like Zoolander, Anchorman, like, those, yeah. like, we don't see Will Ferrell in a conversation for best actor for playing Ron Burgundy. So I don't know if, like, so the fact that there was so much controversy around the blackface thing just makes it even cooler that he got in. And it's a really good point. I didn't even think of that. That that was his comeback year. Yeah. Like, I don't want to make too many similarities to Brendan Fraser because we don't know if he's going to join Marvel from here. But I guess like 2022 was something similar because also um, it was the year of big blockbusters getting um, sweeping at the awards. Yeah. Say. Yeah. Yeah, just like and I think it also says something about like the politics of Oscars and movies because every time you see a grand war movie like um like 1917 like or Saving Private Ryan yeah. all like it goes like, back I love those bit. movies but you can tell they're always thinking let's win an Oscar. Yeah. Yeah, and a movie like this like I cannot imagine on the set of Tropic Thunder anyone was like this is going to get you an Oscar nomination RDJ. This is this type of like because this type of movie just doesn't get taken seriously at the Oscars, like especially in the 2000s, like a little bit more. So you go back to like the 90s and 80s and you have like Marissa Tomei winning for My Cousin Vinny and Whoopi Goldberg and Ghost right. and Kevin Klein and A Fish Called Wanda. Like it happened every now and then you would get someone winning an Oscar for like a comedy and a comedic, like a straight up comedy comedic performance, not something that's like, oh, it's a dramedy. Oh, there's drama and comedy or like Fargo, which is funny. That's a comedy, but not in the same way that Tropic Thunder is a like a studio blockbuster comedy. Uh, well, absolutely. Not. And, and, and every once in a while, you'll get like this. You'll get like Melissa McCarthy in Bridesmaids or Maria Bakalova in Borat 2. But it is so rare to get one of these nominations that like I, I I just I it's a cool pick it's a cool the fact that they nominated him for this alone is cool just on, my, on the basis of like improbability I'm doing my reading here and so in October of 2008 two months after the movie came out Paramount decided to push Robert Downey Jr as their main sort of awards campaign for this movie. Cause like, let's be honest, like as sad as it is to say, Tropic Thunder is not like their best picture movie of the year. Yeah. But, and then in November, 2008, an issue by Entertainment Weekly put Robert Downey Jr. as one of the three contenders for best supporting actor. So we look at this and it's like uh, Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight, who we'll get to that, but it's a legendary yeah. performance. And Philip Seymour Hoffman in Doubt, and then probably third was like Robert Downey Jr. being talked about. Yeah. Which is wild. Which like carried through to the rest of the season. We'll get to it later. But like mm -hmm. when you look at the people that uh, in the supporting actor race that got nominated for Golden Globe, SAG, BAFTA and Critics' Choice, it's Heath Ledger and uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman and Robert Downey Jr. were the only three to make all four of those, to make the four like major precursors. I love that. <laughs> which like it's it's very fun it's just a fu the fact that this nomination happened because you, even you watch the movie 
uh, and he's a lot of fun in it. Like it's a funny performance, regardless of like the context of the time, regardless of it being his comeback, of it being like specifically making fun of Oscar-y actors. Like I think he said the the actors that he was most pulling from were Daniel Day Lewis and Russell Crowe and Colin Farrell. Uh, which at this point, oh, Colin Farrell, yeah. more for like the like the bad boy image that you get in that one like shot uh, uh, in, in the the like the news video of like, oh, he he, you know, is a ladies man and he he drinks around a bit, which was like kind of the 2008 image of Colin Farrell. But like you look at Daniel Day Lewis and Russell Crowe; these are method actors. Russell Crowe is controversial at this point for for mm-hmm. like going in deep on some of this stuff like but but these are like academy favorites these are academy type actors prestige level like even if colin farrell at this point didn't have that level of like oscar recognition he's still considered like an up-and-coming hot young actor with a, a serious streak of getting in deep to his performances and so you you look at that and you have that side of things to look at him from of like, okay, he's not just the joke of this character. Oh, isn't it funny that this guy's in blackface? Like, the joke of the character is his absolute, like, committal to a fault that sort of unravels by the end where he is falling apart. And, and <laughs> like, I, I also think this this nomination and, and the, the acclaim for this performance doesn't come through if you don't have that third act turn where he is having the crisis of, rips of ego wig, rips, rips off the wig yeah and, and he's just like i i maybe i'm nobody night. yeah maybe i'm nobody and and like it, having that and having the the mask fall off and having him be this guy again i think because that's what you end with you you end with him you know, there's more to the character than just the joke of it, than just the joke of this crazy method actor is doing blackface. The, there's more to him, and he changes. And so, like, it's a it's a good supporting performance on that level because it's a it's a it's a uh, a comic relief character that has an actual character to him, goes through a change. And uh, but still isn't the focus of the movie. And that's like if you make this a straight, not a comedy, like that's still the type of character that you're going to be drawn to. This person who's yeah. uh, so in deep to his characters that he doesn't know who he is as as a person. There's already that bit of sadness to him. Yeah. You can feel that he's hiding from something that he's refusing to like put down this black character act. Um, I I did some reading, and I think what was actually even more controversial than RDJ's blackface was the whole recurring joke about Simple Jack. Yeah, and which I think is like we said already, it's like a parody of um, like able-bodied, abled, abled actors playing disabled characters. And of course, he has a speech where he's like, um, "Never go full R word." Yeah. Um, with Sean Penn and I am Sam, Dustin Hoffman, Rain Man, uh, or he says t- Sean Penn, I am Sam went too far into it, and yeah. that's why he lost. And the other two, like Tom Hanks and Forrest Gump, and Dustin Hoffman won. And then, of course, Tug Speedman gets captured by um, 
by the, the Vietnamese, the Golden Triangle heroine. Yeah. Uh, I guess it doesn't yeah. age well because we're at a time where we want to see Asians play more than just bad guys. But it's like, yeah, there's there's it works because it's like real threats. Yeah. But they get him to play simple Jack because they come up to him and um, and they don't know who he is. So then the kid comes up and says, like, "You were simple Jack," and then he's like, "Should have won Oscar." And that that part just kills me. Yeah, yeah. It's again the fact that this movie keeps like poking fun at the Oscars, but still ends on the Oscars, and like that's the big triumph is that Tug Speedman wins this Oscar. Like they're really ingratiating themselves with the fact that this is a movie that is aware of the Oscars and is like acutely aware of them. Where uh, uh, <laughs> they're making jokes of like, yeah, well. It would have been nice to have been nominated, but it's all it's all about politics. It's you got to take out ads <laughs> and everything, which is is a a good little like I I love that it stops to make that joke. The movie like pauses for him to be like it would have been nice to get an Oscar nomination, but that's not how it works. Um, but yeah, that that whole speech is you know probably the most iconic part of this. The you never go full Arsler. Um, and Downey does a really good job with it of like prattling off these stats of like uh uh Dustin Hoffman 1988 Rain Man he's not Arsler he's a savant he's autistic maybe he can count cards and he's you know he's got Tom Cruise with him which funny cuz Tom Cruise is in this movie um just like it's a good bit of like there's there's layers to that joke because on its face it's just like you went too far Let's make fun of this type of movie. But like you you stop and think about it for a second. This is this five-time Oscar-winning actor being very aware of like the history of the Oscars in a way that's like so sort of self-abusing. Yeah, like only we would be on like a yes. podcast like this. Yes, exactly. Like those are the type of things that we would, you know, throw out like, oh yeah, Rain Man, Forrest Gump, I Am Sam, whatever. Which, by the way, whenever I talk about I Am Sam on this podcast, I'm going to... It's going to be a, a rough time. Uh, Is it but, a good movie? Because I haven't I, actually seen it. I haven't either, but I haven't heard any oh, single person... You... Oh, no. I've talked to a lot of people that have seen it. I've never heard a single word of praise about it. Um, Interesting. But, like, like the actors and people in Hollywood so often are like, oh, I don't care about awards. I don't pay attention to that sort of thing. And for this guy who's won five Oscars, you'd expect especially for him to be like, oh, yeah, it's nice, but like, I'm not super invested in it. But he can just rattle those statistics off off the dome. It's very funny to like stop and think about what that joke actually means for him, that he cares like this much that, that he has to follow this trend. Yeah, he he has it memorized. It's it's a very good uh, just aspect to this character to know, like, oh, he really cares about the Oscars in that way. Uh, it's it's very fun. He has al- wanna... also one of my favorite uh, uh, bits in the movie is like right before that, where they're talking about Simple Jack, right before he goes into the you, you never go for full Arsler. Yeah. Uh, where he's like, oh, where Tug Speedman is talking about how like, oh, I I got so in deep with the character that I felt that I was really that stupid. I felt that I was oh, yeah, really he had to doing like this. Undumb his mind. Yes. Oh, but my. like you have Downey just like so deadpan, like, oh yeah, you were dumb, right? You were stupid. You were the dumbest, the motherfucker, dumbest motherfucker that ever, motherfucker lived. That ever lived. All this stuff. And Speedman has to be like, 
yeah as the character as simple jack because he like there's a there's like a they're pushing back against each other for the whole movie because they're it's it's two different types of acting embodying themselves in two different types of actors and two different types of personalities and they both see each other as this different flavor of moron but that that bit where he's just like being so rude to his face under the guise of oh yeah we're just talking about a character yeah you're the dumbest motherfucker that ever lived in that movie there's he he has some really good line deliveries especially in the scenes where like... where he gets to be higher status it's it's very fun to watch him just like poke at this this ego I think if someone watched that in movie, like someone within the universe of Tropic Thunder, it would be the equivalent of like Jared Leto talking really seriously about his performance in Morbius or House of Gucci. Yeah. If you think about it in that way, it's even funnier. Um, Also, another Kirk Lazarus moment I love. Back to Al Pacino, the space between the putt and the chino. Yeah. um, Is when uh, he is very in character. So he starts throwing around the n-word and then um no 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 no. it's al pacino who's like they gave the biggest n-word role to the fakest uh the fakest like crocodile dundee that ever lived something like that and then he like embraced him, and says, Hugs him that word has kept us down for 400 years and then he starts quoting the jefferson theme song it's yeah. so good there's it's just it's... you and me i don't know the jefferson theme song yeah it was... it's it's then... really fun Another great thing with Alpa is <laughs> so uh main thing about Alpa's um his journey is yeah. that he well the movie opens imagine all right let's take you back to 2008 you're sitting there and there's not even a Paramount logo you just hear you just see Al Pacino dancing in a, I keep saying Al Pacino but it sounds like a different Al Pacino Brandon yeah. T Jackson dancing in the booty sweat ad singing I love that pussy and first of all, that that shit makes me laugh every time. It, but then the trailers are so good, but that from, one especially, yeah. It's his journey from quote loving that pussy to um to him like to, uh, not talk speed it to Kirk Lazarus, aka Lincoln Osiris, giving him the advice on how to woo his crush, and he's like, "What's her name, Lance?" He's like, "Okay, listen, Lance. What the fuck did I just hear, Lance?" And so like it's like his um. Then at the end, he and Lance are together at the Oscars. Yeah, it's Lance Bass. Really cute detail. It's Lance Bass. Um, it's like it's a joke that doesn't age super well with with the like gay panic of them all. There, there's some good jokes in there. Jack Black has a good like capper to that bit, but like there's some stuff that doesn't quite age well. But the fact that it ends with uh, him and Lance Bass together at the Oscars, it's good. But yeah, Downey in that scene, mention, like the pushing kind of... against it, yeah. The kind of like outdated stereotype of like the black community being homophobic. Yeah. Um, which I guess Perg Lazarus is doing in character. So if you know it's a 2008 movie, it's very funny. But I just yeah. love those moments between him and, and Brandon T. Jackson, like you said. Yeah. It's, it's like the, the, the one that comes to mind is when they're fighting over the map and Stiller says something about like, you people get on my nerves. And Downey says, what do you you mean, mean, you you people? people? And then Pacino or Al Pacino has to come and like, wait, no, what do you mean, you people? You're Australian. Uh, You you, uh, uh, Crocodile Dundee, Kangaroo Jack, whatever. Uh, It's a a good movie. It's a fun movie. There's also the part where 
uh, he goes to rescue Tug and he's dressed up. I guess he's in blackface doing not really Asian face, but pretending to be Asian. And yeah. he's talking about how uh, he has a rice farm. And then on his way, uh, on his way to leave, like after he drops Jack Black, who's like the bait, he mentions a poppy seed farm. So Brandon Suhu asks him, wait, you said you had a rice farm. And he was like, I'm a lead farmer, motherfucker, and pulls out his machine gun. Yeah, and he goes, like, the best part about that little bit is that when he drops the pretending to be Chinese, he goes back into the black voice he's doing because he's just so many layers deep into this character. It's a a little bit that, like, doesn't quite uh, uh, track immediately that, like, oh, yeah, he's, he's dropping one artifice and going back into the other artifice, he's he's still That's not going so back I didn't to Australia. Yeah, it's it's such a stupid bit that 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 works, but it does work. Like, it's a performance that is he has to be so many layers deep because I think uh, on set, similarly, Downey like stayed in this character while they were filming, like in between takes, he was still doing this voice and and pretending to be this actor pretending to be this character, there's an extra layer deep when it's actually Downey doing it. But like, it's it's a committed performance that kind of has to be committed. If there's like any level of, if there's any point in this movie where it starts, it starts to falter about whether or not it is, you know, being entirely critical of Kirk Lazarus for doing this stupid, terrible thing as an actor, like, the movie falls apart. It has to be consistently like, even though he's to some degree, the voice of reason on this track, on this supposed film set, he still has to be a moron. And Downey does a really good job of playing him as a moron that doesn't think he's a moron. It's such a thin line to play that if it's not, you know, in the hands of Ben Stiller directing and writing and in the hands of Downey Jr. Like, making sure he doesn't fall too too far to one side or the other it's it's a stealthily very impressive performance on that level of like making him feel like an actual actor doing this like like he is this blowhard uh uh method actor and not just oh i'm i'm going into a thinly veiled like it, it doesn't ever feel like it's just Robert Downey Jr. doing it uh, like a caricature of a black man. If there's always that layer, no matter what, of Kirk Lazarus separating yeah. them. You're, you always feel that it's Kirk Lazarus in blackface and not Robert Downey Jr., which is really tough to, to keep balanced when you're also mm-hmm. in this like fake uh, uh, like war setting. And to have that at all times with the way he carries himself and the way he like the way that Kirk falls into these stereotypes and carries himself. So it's, it's hard to talk about. It's really hard to talk about a performance like this. That's on so many levels while also staying funny on on top of it all. Like he has to still be funny because this is a, a, a comedy and it's a, it's a character that's meant to be funny and foolish. And he does a really good job of making that work in in some really impressive ways. Uh, and I'm also remembering the... now, I'm just remembering now in that campfire scene where 
Al Pacino's like revealing his sexuality, um, where he goes, "Man, everyone's gay once in a while. It's Hollywood." Yeah, some shit like that. Um, so he just like out of nowhere drops the most random things, and to him, like you said, like he he becomes dim witted, and to him, it just seems like from his perspective, the like the natural thing to say because he can't surrender Kirk Laz, he can't surrender Lincoln Osiris, the black character so he has to say like the blackest but fake blackest thing yeah he's he's having to fall back on stereotypes that yeah in a way that doesn't make it seem like it's just robert downey jr falling on stereotypes it's it's an impressive balancing act um i think is where it, it comes down to because this could have been on a on a very sort of meta way, this could have been like a simple Jack style. We all sort of look back and cringe, like, "Oh, what was Robert Downey Jr. doing?" But like, for the most part, this is a performance that holds up, and people will go back to and be like, "Yeah, no, the comedy here still works because he is not like at the end of the day, he is not playing a black man. He's playing a stupid white man that thinks it's okay to do blackface in a way that." I feel like we're just talking around the same sort of like. Well, I, I think I, a I lot know. of people yeah. rolled with the joke. Well, yeah, that he was nominated everywhere. But even like I see a clip of Jamie Foxx talking about how he loved the performance, and I think, from what I know, Jamie Foxx um, shot and directed a movie called All Star Weekend. He hasn't released it yet. I don't remember why he's having trouble getting a distributor. But they shot it back in 2016, and it has to do with like him and Jeremy Piven play like he's a Steph Curry fan, he's a LeBron James fan. But apparently, Robert Downey Jr. was cast as a Mexican in this movie. Oh yeah, and, I saw Jamie something Fox talking about this. Is yeah, directing this movie, so I wonder if that's the reason. But like, I don't know. I've always like if sequels are a very like bloated idea these days. They happen all the time, but. You want to get into it? I have some ideas for a Tropic Thunder sequel. I mean, I feel it, like they... yeah, there's absolutely things that could be done with a Tropic Thunder sequel if if that's a decision that I mean, it could work. It could work. I mean, look at Severance. Ben Stiller's a fantastic director now. Yeah, I think yeah. maybe you have um, Robert Downey Jr. come back as Kirk Lazarus as Lincoln Osiris, but this time they're filming like a uh civil war piece and it's like a pair it's like a spoof of like uh what of like civil war reenactors coming after them so it's like that whole like uh satire yeah you never know it could work or they've been talking about a les grossman spin-off for a while yeah that uh, was always christopher mcquarrie oh yeah forgot about that that would have been weird but uh could i don't know uh would have been interesting to see um one last thing about downey jr uh uh you mentioned the opening trailers which like is such a perfect bit again on so many levels because one it's just they're just funny on their own but two it sets up these actors these fictional actors and characters perfectly like you you go into the movie before the movie's even started knowing exactly what type of actor all of these characters are playing um and, and Toby Maguire Yes, yes, the the Satan's <laughs> Alley trailer as the See, the gay an, priests yeah. is and Downey is so good in just that little bit 
just the, the flash of five-time Academy Award winner Kirk Lazarus and MTV Movie Award for Best Kiss winner Tobey Maguire. Uh, uh, it's which, by the way, I I always forget this, but at the end when it cuts to the the Oscars and Tug Steven wins the Oscar for Tropic Blunder, the true story or whatever, the true story of the most expensive behind fake the worst, true yeah. the the fake true war story or whatever uh toby mcguire is nominated much. for uh satan's alley you see him as one of oh the really in there. yeah that's fantastic that's yeah, fantastic it's, it's like him and sean penn playing a blind man and tom <laughs> hanks as like a, a man in a wheelchair at like the paralympics and then john voight as some like 18th century something with like a right i remember the paralympics yeah. one yeah uh but yeah i i is there anything else we want to say about Downey Jr.'s performance here? Uh, uh, again, I think it's just a confluence of uh, fortunate timing for this movie and for Iron Man and for like, this is also like, we'll get into it, but Heath Ledger was such a foregone conclusion uh, for supporting actor this year that it feels like this is like, a oh, we can get a little interesting with some of our other nominees here because they're never going to win. So we don't have to like, like when you're not treating Robert Downey Jr. as a he's a serious threat to a win type thing, you have a little bit, bit more leeway to be like, oh well, it would still be nice to nominate him. Uh, he we know he's not going to win. We know nobody else is going to win. But I feel like that that's another aspect that people probably had in mind in 2008 of like, well, if if we know he's not going to win, what's the harm in giving him this nomination? Cause it, it would be fun and it's a little in joke and uh, why not? Yeah. And again, he had a, a bit of a public downfall after Chaplin, which I haven't seen. I don't know which performance of his you'd prefer. I haven't seen that one either. I can't. Yeah, speak so to I'll it, get but... to it. Cause it looks good, but this was definitely like a moment of, you know, first of all, him getting cast as one of the now most popular characters in fictional media but also the Academy and the serious Holly, like serious Hollywood people saying like, welcome back, bro. Yeah. Et cetera. Made us a ton of money. You're, you're like, this is following up like kiss, kiss, bang, bang, Zodiac, which were like not as big box office hits, but they had their cult followings. And I was on the top 10 highest earning or like his movies together have made the most of like any of those actors. He's on the top 10. Yeah. Yeah uh yeah uh i think and it's interesting to like it's interesting because we could have similar conversations about the timing with marissa tomei and my cousin Vinny or kevin yeah. klein like you said i wonder if there will be an interesting similar conversation around something like jamie lee curtis and everything everywhere all at once in future yeah days. yeah that, a, that's another sort of like too. yeah yeah that one also kind of fits into this of of like uh more or less just a straight comedic performance in a movie that like has more of a depth to it. Like that's not just a, a, a comedy comedy in the same way that Tropic Thunder is, but her performance especially is like almost entirely comic. Yeah. That, that's, that's a good comparison. Uh, is there anything else we want to say about Downey Jr. Or do we want to move on and talk about some of the rest of the movie? I think we should talk about some of the rest of the movie. Cause I have a lot to say. See, this is the good part, Pecker. This when Jug gets mm. fun. Yeah. Ask, and you shall receive. All right. You play ball, we play ball. 
know. You want the goodies? Welcome to the goodie room. You paying attention? Okay, where do we want to start? There's a lot of moving parts to this movie. Uh, from the cast. I'm mostly, most just like a lot of people in this cast to talk about. Do we want to talk about so Ben Stiller about, up top? Yeah, so we talked about, of course, that opening, which I'm sure in the theaters was insane. And yeah. Ben Stiller, of course, the first time you meet him, he's doing Scorcher 6. which Global I love, meltdown. I love, the, I love the narration where it's like, this time he's going to make a difference again. But this time it's different. Like difference, different. It was so it's, dumb. It's such a I good like... parody of that type of trailer for that type of movie. It's it's really well done. Of like, oh, then, we're doing this again. Okay, here's another, you know, diehard sequel in 2006 or whatever. Like, I'm sure Scorcher, it. at least one of the Scorcher movies is directed by Robert Rodriguez. I'm just oh, throwing probably. it out there. It looks like they were. Yeah. Um, and then he's playing Simple Jack alongside his at the time, real life wife, Christine Taylor. Oh, uh, yeah. Plays, like, the smart woman. And then, <laughs> and then when, when we actually meet the real tug, like he's he's acting, but he's like, he's got the arms, which yeah, with the, the fake, like the, the, the blown up hands. God, yeah. I remember one time I was watching this movie in my living room and my, either my mom or my dad walks in. And they're like, oh, what is this brutal movie? And then they see the part where they're like, cut, and they start laughing along with the movie. I forget yeah. which of my parents it was. That's a, it's a I, really good intro when you get into it, where it starts off like you're seeing the movie being made, you're seeing the the war. Like, this is a well-made movie. Uh, uh, when it gets to the like movie within a movie parts, there's the it looks real. It does like they get the look of this type of war movie down really well. Um, yeah. Ben Stiller in that opening. It's great. He's, he's doing kind of a Ben Stiller type. Like he plays this type of uh, a, a character that is very like self-confident in a needy way. Like he, he, has a very high view of himself but it's so insecure that like he co- needs this constant validation and like he's insecure for good reason because he's not nearly as good as he thinks he is uh was low-key alex the lion but live action like that's the yeah. archetype that you just described there is alex from madagascar yeah it, it's like a, uh what's the one i was ju- just thinking like not quite zoolander but um, the Globo Gym guy from Dodgeball, maybe? Yeah, yeah, he's always that sort Like, even, like, uh, Chaz Tenenbaum is getting at that to, like, a much sadder degree, but he's that yeah, sort of, like, very, Chaz... very, like, go get him. Like, I, I need to be this very self-important, self-serious man, but he's, like, a fool, and everyone else sees it. And it, it's, oh, even, mi- like, uh, uh, even Mr. Young is the one I was thinking. Oh. Mystery Men, where he's the, like, the the uh, the Hulk type superhero that gets very angry and very mad, but he has like I've anger issues. It's it's not the best. It's okay, but he's he's fun in that. Um, yeah, it, it's he's doing a really good job here. It's a it's an undersung part of this movie because like he's the lead, but he's not the straight man, and the people around him are kind of funnier. So like you don't necessarily think of this movie and think that's a great Ben Stiller performance at the center, but he is 
very fun and very I think we just take him in. for granted. Yes, I think movie. that's exactly it, actually. Because we know he's going to show up and do what Ben Stiller does. Yeah, especially because like this is he's directing this movie. He's mm-hmm. he he's one of those uh, uh, actor directors that like when you sit down and look at his actual movies and mainly I'm just thinking this on the cable guy, like there's a darker like side, like there, there's a real like cynical side to his, his I voice. Ever, I think I ever finished the cable guy. It's, like I started it for sure. It's a, it's a, I do like, it. I do really like the cable guy, but there is like, have you watched secret life of Walter Mitty? I did a I long that. time ago, uh, mm-hmm. uh, like around when it came out and I remember very little about it, but that's that's less cynical, but there's still some sort of like something to that one. I don't know. Uh, but he's an interesting director, and I haven't seen Severance because I don't watch a lot of TV, but I've heard very good things about that and about his direction on that show. I think if if there's any show you go out of your way to see, even if you're not a big TV guy, I think yeah. Severance should be up there on your list. Succession. Yes. Yeah. Things. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Uh, I, I am watching Succession, which ends tonight as we record. So, uh, when you people listen, it'll be over. Be watching, no, but yeah, days. oh yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a, a wild one. Um, yeah, I, I think Stiller's really good in this. He has some really good mm-hmm. jokes, but like, it, it, he's not overshadowed. But like, the other people around him are bigger characters, and so it would have been interesting. I think. Uh, the initial plan from what I read was that it, it wasn't going to be Stiller in the lead. He was going to take some smaller character and, and the name they wanted uh, was like Keanu Reeves or someone like that. I'd be very curious to see what Keanu or someone else like him would have done with this Tug Speedman character. Uh, someone that maybe even has more of a background in action, uh, in action movies to any degree. Because right now you look at Ben Stiller as this like macho hunk. And the joke of it is that like Ben Stiller never in a million years would be an action hero. Uh, but I don't know. I, I'm very curious to see how that would have worked. But I think it works think he just, fine enough with Stiller anyway. I actually think he's like a key part. I think even though you did say the other characters are bigger than him, I think he's actually very big. Because he's yeah, he's doing the most, but it's maybe like his most showy comedic performance besides Derek Zoolander, and maybe I'm I killing myself forgetting the name, but the the head of Global Gym and Dodgeball, like it's up there for his yeah. His stuff. And it's like you said, because he he thinks that he can you just go out and deliver the best war movie action hero performance uh, in the world, just like that, because he's Tug Speedman. Um, I, I I love his work here. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot. White of Goodman, that's the name. White Goodman, yes, is the head of Global Gym in Dodgeball, <laughs> a true underdog story. A wild character name. Yeah, um, uh, yeah, like when 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 he goes off the off the rails in this one after he kills the panda and just goes like, like he snaps, he he gets into like a bit of a Colonel Kurtz thing. It's very fun, uh, uh performance. It, and he calls up Matthew McConaughey and goes, I, I killed just the thing the I loved. And I killed the thing I love most. And he's like, is it a hooker? You killed a hooker? What's their name? And he's like, I killed a panda. It's like, 
oh, you scared the shit out of me, Tug. In his Matthew McConaughey voice. God, I yeah. didn't even remember that joke till I rewatched it. That shit made me laugh. Yeah, McConaughey's a lot so of fun much. in this. He's so dedicated to this. I think, like, I was reading on the IMDb trivia or something that he was, like, constantly on set, like, asking Ben Stiller questions about Rick Peck and, like, who is he? What type of guy is he? To the point that he was, like, you're a, like a minor character in this movie that kind of gets bumped up because McConaughey is so invested in it. It's he's having a lot of fun in this, playing this agent like about, completely straight too, like just totally buying into about, it. We can talk about about McConaughey because it seems like he's he's good at his job and he's a really good friend, but at the same time he might hate his son. Yes, um, God, yeah, that, like for those no bits are really good. Reason, he just like. He's just like, um, I don't remember the exact line, but for some unexplicit reason, he isn't a big fan of his son. And he's also really pissed off that Tug doesn't have the TiVo or whatever. I don't even know what Tug would record out there. Why wouldn't he just like... Yeah, just, um, just watch. Like, uh, yeah. Why can't he just watch like some DVD in his collection? Yeah. But he's very obsessed with that. And then he, of course, he brings him the... The TiVo machine, DVR, whatever the, you want to call box, it. The box, the box, yeah, yeah. The it HDMI saves the day with it. My box, and yeah, that's a classic. Yeah, and there's of course, like this is the type of movie I've I've fallen into this sometimes on this show, and it's especially tough with a movie like this that is just like a joke a minute, like just like this is such a pure comedy. That it is very hard to talk about a movie like this without just recanting jokes from the movie of like, and then this joke happens, and like, I it's it's really tough to keep from just like, because that's that's what you want to do with a movie like this. That's also the mark of a very well written and well made comedy. That when you're talking about it with someone, all you want to do is just retell the jokes to other people because like. This is a very funny movie with so many really good jokes that like hold up when you're describing them to other people. There's a lot of comedies that sort of meander, especially around this time. This is like right in the middle of the Apatow movies getting especially overlong and bloated in the way that people were like, we're done with Judd Apatow. Let's get some fresh voices in the comedy scene. Uh, And like this is not one of those movies. This doesn't feel loaded. Even watching the two-hour version, even watching the director's cut, like it feels it moves really quickly. There's a pace to the jokes. There's a pace to the set pieces. It never stays with one character for too long. It it moves around really well, and the jokes hold up. The jokes are for the most part very funny, and the ones that like, like the simple Jack stuff like you said, was very controversial at the time and got even more flack than the blackface stuff because, like, it is making fun of a a particular subset of movies, but in a way that, like, Hollywood wasn't quite ready to joke about yet. They're still throwing around the R slur in this movie. There's still, like, the, the, the caricature-ness of Stiller's performance is very big and very very low hanging fruit uh in a way that like you can watch it and get what they're making fun of they're not making fun of mentally handicapped people but 
there's an even thinner line with that than the 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 race stuff with Robert Downey Jr. And like that stuff definitely doesn't age as well because Hollywood has moved so quickly away from that for the most part that like the the it feels so out of place but yeah it's just worth noting that like when we say this movie holds up it doesn't hold up entirely there's still some bits that are kind of shaky there's still it's still a mainstream like hollywood blockbuster comedy made in 2008 so that 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 is a grain of salt a, a big old grain of salt worth taking this movie with but i would say it holds up as in like the intent is seen. Yes. Like it's yes. Like you can enjoy it with a grain of salt. Exactly. And then exactly. I, when I watched the extended version of this one, I felt again, like the pacing just blew. Like I didn't care that it took 30 minutes for them to go into the jungle and for Steve Coogan to get blown up. <laughs> Which um, is such a good gag still that the immediate yeah. timing of let's go make the greatest war movie ever. And then he steps on the mine and blows up. It's, it's such and how a... long they drag it out of Tug believing it's still fake. I just think like the more they drag it out, the more priceless it is. It's so gross like, when he starts like dangling his... the head over his face and the brain he, like, like spill out, in it. and he's, he puts it on his gun and starts talking to it. It's it's a really gnarly scene that again works yeah. really well. It, it works for the character for the for the scene for just the the basic sort of gross out comedy of it it's a good it's a good gag if, i don't know if this scene was in the original cut cuz i again just watched the extended version but it's a whole long party scene and yeah Tug i think that's adding right? the speech and jack black yells out <laughs> out of nowhere simple jack sucks yeah and, or simple jack was terrible and ben stiller goes who said that that's not funny um <laughs> Yeah, like Jack Black in this movie, he's very again, he's very big, he's very loud, but surprisingly not one of my favorite performances of his. He, yeah. he does everything well, and Jack Black was is actually one of my like favorite funny guys. When I was really young, like um like eight, nine, ten, something like that, I would have called him my favorite actor because I yeah. loved him in Kung Fu Panda and School of Rock and so on. But I don't think he actually he's excellent, but he doesn't make the movie like some of the others do yeah i think he's that makes sense. he's a lot of fun it's it's a much sort of like not darker character but like he he's sort of like separate from the rest of this platoon because he's got his own thing going on with his like heroin withdrawals that he's poorly hiding so like he he, he doesn't fit in with the rest of them as well by design because he's he's you know really going through it but he has some really good gags in here but you're right he, he's not he's also not the one you think of from this movie if you're talking about the cast from this movie he's almost an afterthought of like oh yeah it's robert downey jr and ben stiller and uh oh yeah jack black is in that isn't he, he he's like the one you think of eventually but but he's not gonna come to mind first i think so but, uh, and that's not to say that he was misused or, oh yeah or no i think he phoned it in yeah it's just that i don't think like his character, I think it was more about uh, them writing the character. But again, the movie's already so good that I'm not gonna I'm not gonna complain that Jack Black's not in it that much. But a dynamic I do love is um, Danny McBride and Nick Nolte. God, yeah, so much to discover about <laughs> Nick Nolte on the rewatch. 
he's the guy who wrote the book Tropic Thunder that they're basing it on. So he's walking around with hooks for arms, which you later discover aren't as genuine as you would think. Um, but the whole thing was just a ruse because like they're all calling him a patriot and a real American hero. And he's like, no, it was written as a patriotic tribute to America. And yeah, he's like BS it because because uh, they're tied up. And Danny McBride asks him, were you even in the army? He's like, Coast Guard, sanitation. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, you're the Stars and Stripes Millie Vanilli or something like yeah. that. Yeah, God. McBride has like almost still actually MVP. phenomenal. If, if this didn't have so many other like great comedic performances in this ensemble because it's a really great ensemble again like jack black blends so well into the ensemble that you're not going to think of him first but like danny mcbride has so many top tier line readings in this that if you didn't have like downey and Cruz and and all them he might be the mvp of just like god he's he's just really delivering on everything with just like uh, I don't remember which explosion it is because he does a bunch of. He's the pyrotechnics guy that like sets off a bunch of explosions in this movie. But like he'll he'll shout as he's doing them, and at one point he just like big old titties and then sets it off yeah. like complete non sequitur. But he's just so excited to be blowing shit up. Uh, he's he's a lot of fun, and especially like you said, yeah, when he's pushing back against Nolte. And they're just tied up and bickering. It's so fun. He's so good in this. Oh, we haven't talked about him. His character had a funny name. Four Leaf Tayback. Four Leaf. Four Leaf. They called him Leaf all the time. They kept calling him Leaf. Yeah. We haven't talked about him like at all, but I think Jay Baruchel is also very fun. And like you you kind of can't have this platoon without any one of the members uh from it. But like Baruchel is like he's the young up and coming actor that really wants a big part is the only one that went to this army boot camp is the only one that read the script. Uh, and he's just like playing everything so completely straight and earnest and like not yet jaded by the Hollywood machine. Cause he hasn't found his niche to fall into. Uh, he's it, a street it, guy in the movie. Yeah, he is. Yeah. In, in a very what fun the way. Fuck are all these actors and their egos? Yeah. Yeah. He like, the the back and forth when he's pissing and then Downey and uh, Stiller come up one at a time and are like, I don't really have to pee, but I want you on my side about this map argument we're having. And Baruchel just has to stand there while he's pissing and be like, Yeah, okay, okay, whatever you say, Mister. He Steve just wants man. to be. He just wants to get through it fine in yeah. one piece. Yeah, because like yeah. at this point, he's like the the only one that's really like, this is real. We're, we're off track. We're not filming a movie i need to get back home or i'm gonna fucking die and he's just they keep forgetting his name which is you know like an easy bit to do but it works so perfectly here yeah he's he's a lot he has the whole like just like talking to nobody about blu-ray versus hd (laughs) (laughs) again so easy to just go into these jokes because it's just a, a really tight funny movie the script is so good and it's a shame that this is such a like impact impeccable and very deep original screenplay lot like not just the nominees we got but like the other movies that were circling it that this movie never really had a shot 
to begin with. You want to with, look at that, that for a sec? Because here we have, we have Milk, which won. It's a solid win. It's a good one. Yeah. Uh, Frozen River, which I haven't seen. I haven't Happy either. Go the, the, Lucky, which is yeah. fantastic. Yes. In Bruges, which is kind of a modern classic. And then Wally, which is one of my favorite movies. Yeah. But honestly, I haven't seen Frozen River, and I don't know anyone who's passionate about it. I don't think so. I, I'm, I can't really say because I haven't seen it. The other movies are too good, but you know, Tropic Thunder, I feel like it could have been a solid sixth or seventh place. Like, yeah, like that's it's the funny, it, 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 clever. It feels like it too, because you get like, like in these other years, in recent years, like Bridesmaids does get a screenplay nomination, Borat that's subsequent right. movie film gets a screenplay nomination. Like these very smart, snappy comedies. And it's just the case that, like, you look at those original screenplay lineup nominees, and like, even outside of that circle, you have a Coen Brothers movie that doesn't get nominated. You have a Woody Allen movie that doesn't. Get, it's Burn After Reading. Is that the year of Burn After? Okay. Yeah, it's the it's year of Vicky Christina Barcelona, Coen's, which is like a Woody Allen oh, screenplay not getting nominated, which like, it is a a real sort of mark because they fucking love nominating Woody Allen whenever he has a a movie that How gets many screenplay nominations does he have is he like the most nominated writer of all time it's like him and uh billy wilder are up there i think i i, I don't think he's he quite overtook wilder but uh it's close but like you have he has so, 16 nominations for original screenplay god yeah movie. yeah you have the wrestler which doesn't get a nomination here you have the visitor that's right is the visitor like i think the wga lineup is only one for here let me pull up wga 2008 because by the way on that subject uh, i read something about the visitor recently should i watch i haven't like, seen I it it's yet good. It, it's okay. it's one that i'm going to do on this show so i've been saving it for that um that's weird that the wrestler wasn't even nominated yeah for writing. yeah you look at the wga nominees yeah. in 2008 and milk also wins there but other than that it's mm-hmm. burn after reading and vicky christina barcelona and the visitor and the wrestler so only one for five crossover which like i I don't think mcdonough or mike lee are guild members or something like that so like they're not eligible for that award but yeah it, it's just wild how many strong contenders there are in original screenplay this year that like if this were a work uh, also rachel getting married uh, which doesn't get like as many precursor citations, yeah. but that is a great screenplay that I know was in the conversation. Like, if this was just a weaker year, you could see Tropic Thunder showing up somewhere, but it, it think... just it, it's just drowned out. But like, when you have, I think that the was that... the problem. I think the problem is just In Bruges being great, Happy Go Lucky being great, The Wrestler uh, probably getting more votes. Vicky Cristina Barcelona probably getting more votes because it's Woody Allen. Yeah. And this is I also didn't know that Justin Thero wrote this movie until my recent watch. Yeah. Right. Crazy, right? I saw that and I was like, good for him. Yeah. It's also the case where like you look at a lot of those screenplays and you have like Burn After Reading as a comedy and In Bruges as a comedy and Happy Go Lucky is a comedy and Vicky Cristina Barcelona is a comedy. And Wally, you could argue, is a comedy. Uh, but like so you have all these other more like sort of like upper class not upper class but like the, these comedies that uh academy members are going to take more seriously because there's like a, a dramatic heft to them they they feel Tropic more Thunder like is like Tropic Thunder is a dumb comedy. comedy yes it's a dumb movie 
that is smart secretly. It is like has a lot of smart jokes, but on it on the surface, it's a dumb movie that opens with a trailer for Booty Sweat and a, a trailer for Fatty's <laughs> Fart Two. Like it, this is not a movie that is taking itself super seriously. I think probably because you know, Happy Go Lucky, for example, is more of a comedy that Academy voters who are drama fans will yes. grasp onto. That movie isn't just about. Um, definitely watch it. By the way, if yeah you're listening, you haven't seen it. Great movie. And then it's Bruges great. Also has like there's a structure to the writing of in Bruges. Like every line, Martin McDonough has like a beginning, middle, end. Like he yeah Martin McDonough's that way. And so like yeah, and, so like and, sometimes and, Ben Stiller, it's like with Tropic Thunder, it's like gay jokes, boobs jokes, explosion jokes, which is fart for jokes. The movie, but maybe yeah, not for the, exactly. Jack yeah, Black and the whole farting thing. Yeah, uh, we haven't. I want to also ask. Oh, no, say what you were going to say. Okay, I was also going to ask uh, how much you think Tom Cruise was in the discussion. Yeah, I was just about to pull us into Tom Cruise for the Golden Globe. I think that's just the Golden Globes being the Golden Globes, but like, yeah, let's talk about Tom Cruise here. Oh, there's Les a lot Grossman. to talk about. He has like three scenes, maybe four. Maybe no, I think he, it's just the three scenes or something. He's very minimally in this movie, but he leaves such an impression because it is such a bonkers character. He's this hotshot studio executive producer. He's like a Scott Rudin type, a Harvey Weinstein type. He's loud and brash and abusive <laughs> and like he gets like a guy to punch um was it Bill Hader? Who he, you know, to punch oh, he gets Steve a guy Coogan. to punch Steve Coogan over a FaceTime call in a random Vietnamese bar. Yeah. On, you know, like, question, he, one of the most iconic comedy characters of all time? I've certainly of the past 20, especially for like a a minor character, for, for a character that is mm -hmm. ultimately, you can cut him out of this movie and it still works. It, the plot still moves forward for the most part. Like, for a for an incidental character, he's so memorable from like the look of him because you have him like Tom Cruise is borderline unrecognizable in this, where he has this like bald cap and like these giant hands and hairy arms and like the beard and the jowls and the big glasses. Like he still sounds like Tom Cruise, which is also part of the joke of it that he's not masking his voice at all. But like, he's uh, uh, he's just the like you see him on screen and you can see in his face like oh that is Tom, those are Tom Cruise's eyes it's Tom Cruise's voice. But he's dressed up enough where yeah, like my dad had to ask me when he was like watching a part of it with me who's that and I was like Tom Cruise and he was like really and it feels like like he's like he's doing like Tom Cruise yelling stuff but it's a bit out of like the rest of his roles but it's also it feels like what he was born born to do yes it's a perfect cameo that like and like on top of all that on top of the physicality of him on top of the like ludicrousness of his insults of like uh if you cross me one more time i'm gonna stick my fist so far up your ass that anytime you have a thought it's gonna have to tiptoe past my wedding ring like delivering <laughs> that level of like these are like not just insults or like threats. These are threats that I'm going to make you sit and listen 
while I get to the end of this threat. This is a meandering is that threat. from the monologue where he was like, I will fuck you up. I will, I don't remember, like, I will disintegrate. You probably remember it better than me. There's, there's a whole monologue. There's so like, many will, of them. It's the thing. It's so good. It's, and like, on top of all that, on top of these tirades and this look that is so jarring, you also have, and I'm pretty sure this is a thing that Tom Cruise just like did on set that's not in the script. You have these these dances. There's two different points where he starts dancing. Yeah. Uh, one of them where he's telling McConaughey, like, hey, Tug Speedman is being held for ransom. You're just going to let him die, and I'm going to give you this plane and a bunch of money to let us do it. Uh, and he puts on <laughs> low by Florida and starts just, like, no, grooving along to it while he's threatening like, him. It's, it's all like, you want me to let my client, my best friend of 10 years die so you can have this private jet yes and then he goes and the universe is ton of money <laughs> and he's like the universe is calling you just have to listen and he presses apple bottom jeans such a masterful moment when that beat drops <laughs> it's it's so well done it's so funny like that and bill Hader's like his cheerleader yeah bill Hader in the background also dancing along just like yeah get into it it's so it's like you said, for a movie this big with an ensemble this big of so many people delivering really funny performances for this character who has maybe 10 minutes of screen time, if that, to leave such a lasting impression. And they knew it, too, to the point where, like, he gets the end credits of this movie is him dancing. What's this? What's the other song he dances? It's to? Get Back by Ludacris. Yes, it is. Get back, motherfucker. You don't know me like that. Yeah. So to have hit like this character that they know is going to be such a, a a hit with audiences to be so confident in that, to let him close out this movie. That's not about him is so fun. And like, he's having like Tom Cruise is not an actor that you can very often tell is having fun in movies. If he's not like <laughs> hanging off a plane or whatever, like that's become his whole thing. So for him to like, be having so much fun in this movie and like it's just it's a it's a awe-inspiring performance because you just can't look away from him he's so it's such a jarring presence that he shakes up the whole movie just by showing up it's it's great you can see why the golden globes would go for something like this in a way that no one else was gonna touch this i don't think he was anywhere he close to an oscar discussion? nomination i don't think so. i think that's like talking one, it's the Golden Globes love their movie stars. And two, it, it's it's just like, they also, because they're a, a an institution that like is more primed for comedy movies, even though this doesn't get a Best Picture Comedy Musical nomination with them, like they're still primed to go for comedic performances more so than someone else, more so than the Oscars or whatever. So I feel like there there's a little bit of leeway that, that can get right, written like off as like supporting actors Simon Helberg and Florence Foster Jenkins. Yeah, or like Will Ferrell in the producers movie got a nomination. I I'm, I honestly support that one though. It's wild. It's, yeah, but like it's a but, sort of thing that like the Globes are always excuse me gonna go for those weird like this is like as soon as it gets nominated like, yeah, you look touch. at that. Yes, yeah, you look at that and you're like, oh well, that's never gonna actually get Oscar nominated. But it's cool that the Globes went for it because why not? They're allowed. They can 
they can make their weird picks. They can give. But let's just say, like, yeah. personal preference. If it was me and you deciding nominations, here we got. Like I we mean, said Heath Ledger, RDJ, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Michael Shannon, Revolutionary Road, and Josh Brolin in Milk. Would you prefer Tom Cruise in Tropic Thunder to any of these? Um, I so <laughs> I haven't seen Revolutionary Road. I will say that, oh. that's that's one that I still need to get to. Um, I like it. I think it's a good one. Yeah, uh, uh, I think Michael Shannon deserves to get in. Yeah. Before we get into Oscar stuff, is there anything else about the movie itself that we want to talk about? I feel like I covered most of the perform. I feel like like Brandon Suhu as the kid that runs this heroin plant is really fun. Uh, Steve Coogan is good, He's... but like I, I I talked about everyone I wanted to, and everything else that I have in my notes is just like writing down a bunch of individual jokes that I liked and I don't want to just I did a lot of that I took some notes because I I thought those were some great moments honestly the last thing I'll say about the movie itself is um is that if if y'all ever make a sequel or a follow-up I would totally back it uh first of all maybe there's a great idea out there where it's sort of like what would I come like an anthology sort of like sort of like how the White Lotus is like they relocate to a different White Lotus and it's like only two of the same characters. So it's like a different movie production with a new um all-star cast with some more of the, the now comedians that we love. And then Tom Cruise is in it yeah. as Les Grossman for a couple scenes. Uh yeah, tropic, well- something else or something else, Thunder. And uh or if you want to do a full-on sequel with Tug Speedman. Uh, trying to make another um, big to... blockbuster, and you could even satirize more of the Hollywood landscape today. Trying to cash in that. on like he won an Oscar and now he's washed up again, and he's trying to prove himself as like a serious actor again. Like I'm not just this this joke actor that happened to win an Oscar. Yeah, there's like the, there's there's that idea I had with like them being trapped by like. Civil War reenactors or whatever. Yeah. Or there's could... like the, or you could do like, you know how like there's a prey, which is a spinoff of Predator, and it takes place in the, in the, um, 18th, yeah, like I in the past, what, uh, whatever so that. Imagine yeah. if it's like a standalone spinoff to Scorcher, and they try to make it artistic, or some shit like that. That actually, I I do really like that, like a a, a artsy Scorcher. That they're trying to make, yeah. yeah. There's, there's a lot of potential. That's the thing. Is that a like, father who's aging. Yeah, yeah. There's so many ways you can make fun of Hollywood. That like, there is material if they ever go back to the well. If, if this particular group of of uh, filmmakers want to go back to like, let's do another version of this sort of send up. There is absolutely the material for them to mine. Uh, yeah, I, I think that we are not completely removed from the possibility of a Tropic Thunder sequel or spinoff or whatever that ends up being just as smart and, and fun as this one. Uh, yeah, I think uh, with that, let's move on to some Oscar stuff. Well, I agree with everything that's been said so far. Abs- <laughs> absolutely. Now let's talk about taking risks, shall we? Robert Downey Jr. this year with Iron Man and this nominated stroke of genius in Tropic Thunder. You've put yourself back among the boldest and best actors working today to be a white actor. 
to be a white actor playing a white Australian actor, playing a black man in blackface. I'll say it, are you out of your mind? I mean, you know, I can understand getting into your character for the art of the character and soul, but th that's enough from taking the parts from the black people, man. The brothers need to work. You know, that's enough of that. I, I appreciate it. Yes, congratulations on your nomination and your upcoming production on principal photography of your new film, Shaft. So yeah, like I, I uh, hinted at earlier, or not hinted at, I straight up said, uh, uh, this movie, like this nomination is not a fluke. This is not like a out of nowhere, whoa, Robert Downey Jr. gets this nomination. Like he gets the Globe nomination, SAG, BAFTA, Critics' Choice, a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, uh, yeah, where where do I want to go? Yeah, it's nominated for all of those. I don't think it gets nominated. Oh, well, yes, like you said, at the Globes, also Tom Cruise gets nominated in Supporting Actor as well. Uh, I did think it was interesting that this doesn't get a Best Picture Comedy Musical nomination at the Golden Globes, even though it gets both well, of those. What was, so what Vicky was Cristina Barcelona wins. Uh, Burn After Reading, Happy Go Lucky, In Bruges, and Mamma Mia was the fifth one there. Uh, which makes sense. That was a big hit. It's a musical, and it's a... a Whenever they get a chance to for there to be like a big zeitgeisty musical that's going to show up there. Uh, yeah, so they're into the woods, etc. Yes, yeah. Although more liked by audiences than Into the Woods was. Uh, but yeah, I can imagine Tropic Thunder probably being like sixth place in that lineup on account of it does get the 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 two acting nominations here, and I would it was have also put it in over. I would have put it in over Burn After Reading, to be honest. I am a big Burn After Reading fan. That one I but, find a bit overhyped. Yeah, I'd probably put it in over Vicky Cristina Barcelona. I'm. It's a movie I need to rewatch and may or may not be rewatching in the very near future for this podcast. Hint, hint. But uh, uh, oh, is that the only nomination Vicky Cristina Barcelona got? Yeah, Penelope Cruz won as Surprising. the only nominee. Yeah, it's it's wild, but uh, Surprising. I haven't seen it yet. Should it's, I? I watched it once a long time ago and wasn't really into it but may or may not like i said be rewatching it very soon so maybe i'll like it more on that rewatch maybe i won't i don't know mm -hmm. tune in whenever that episode comes out if it comes out soon which it is they're <laughs> talking around it but yeah and then there's uh coming up there's also the thought of like maybe this could have gotten in somewhere for sound editing sound mixing yeah there's I some mean, there's some really good technical aspects to that um other precursors here, just to like mention them, uh, Robert Downey Jr. is a third place supporting actor at New York Film Critics, which adds a level of uh, just another level of prestige to this campaign of like, yeah, no, we're serious about this. He, he, he can like show up, show up with the critics and not just the industry. He gets a bunch of critics nominations, actually. Uh, it reminds me of when, like you said, when Maria Bakalova started showing up on these critics awards and I was like, what the hell? Yeah, I had enjoyed that, but I was like, "Oh, this is like seriously an awards performance here." Yeah, to the point where, like the the IndieWire critics poll for this year, where they do like they don't gender their acting categories; they just have like mm -hmm. best uh, lead performance and best supporting performance. Uh, Downey is like the number seven best supporting performance of the year in that critics poll, which is uh, uh, I think almost all of those get Oscar nominated. 
except for Eddie Marzan in Happy Go Lucky, Samantha Morton in uh, Synecdoche, New York, and Rosemary DeWitt and Rachel Getting Married. All the rest of those wow. end up as you Oscar just, nominees. You just mentioned Eddie Marsden, Happy Go Lucky, and Samantha Morton, Synecdoche, New York. Those would have been really good Oscar nominees. Right? It, it's, I feel like Marzan, from what I've read, was like in the conversation to some degree. Like, supporting actor this he year. He was BAFTA nominated, I think. I think so, yeah. Uh, I would have put maybe... Somewhere there. Like, Josh Bowen and Milk is great. And it's his only nomination, so I wouldn't want to not make him an Oscar nominee. But I think I like overall as a performance Tom Cruise in Tropic Thunder and Eddie Marson in Happy Go Lucky a yeah. little better. Yeah, there's uh, a lot of options this year. Uh, speaking yeah. of the BAFTAs, there there are other nominees here. Uh, Brendan Gleeson in in Bruges and Brad Pitt in Burn After Reading would probably oh. both make my lineup. Brendan Gleeson uh, also, although Gleeson really good one. Gleeson, you can say is like maybe co-lead and i probably support that because i think the globe according to the golden globe yes yeah. they're both nominated for actor and colin firth won for actor musical Colin. yeah uh uh also here uh, the uh, critics choice this also this one does win best comedy with the critics choice so like it didn't go completely unmentioned for being a great comedy uh what else at the satellite awards it gets nominated for best supporting actor and best comedy uh, the Saturn Awards, it gets a nomination for its makeup, uh, which I want to put a pin in and come back to in a second. Yeah, wait, let's look. Yeah, so the, look at that so the makeup nominees at the Oscars, uh, the reader, uh, no, wait, never mind. I was looking at the wrong thing. Benjamin Button wins, uh, which makes sense. You got a whole bunch of makeup in that one. Uh, Hellboy 2. I, I'd say I agree with that. Yeah, Hellboy 2, which also makes sense. That's a lot of big prosthetic stuff. Like that's Del Toro going even harder on the on the the makeup looks and that seen it uh and then the dark knight which like has the joker makeup and kind of has two-faced stuff but that's mostly cgi compare that like the joker makeup is very good excuse me but that's kind of the only really noteworthy makeup in that movie joker and then also here got nominated in this category yeah yeah, it is strange how much they like the Joker's makeup. Uh, but like you look at this movie, and I get the hesitance to nominate Blackface, which yeah. like it's the sort of push and pull of like, yeah, Downey did get nominated, but on this level, you're like maybe nominating the skill at which they made him look like this this black character he's supposed to but be there's playing. also like the fake arms scene yes all the cool. yeah there's the those fake arms there's tom cruise's whole transformation you have all the fat uh uh jack blacks in his opening trailer uh there's a there's like a like even just the the war like the all the dirt on the platoon as they're going mm. through this jungle like there's there's a lot of makeup that's very flashy and showy in this movie. And I did look up um the the Bake Off shortlist for best makeup this year. Like very helpfully the the Let's Wikipedia page oh. the Wikipedia page for best makeup and hairstyle as a category right has it. So uh this movie did make the shortlist along with The Reader, The Wrestler and Synecdoche New York. Uh I would imagine this probably was like fourth place because there were only the three nominees like do you know why 
they kept this one at three nominees for so long. There's really no because... reason behind it. It's just one of the like visual effects was three nominees up until like 2010. It's just oh, a really? thing. Yeah, it's weird. It's just a thing that happens sometimes until they they end up formally formally just being like, we can't keep doing this. It was only like three years ago, three or four so years. The first ago. one was when uh, Bombshell won this award. Yeah, yeah, In weird. I feel like if you had made this five this year, it probably would have been Tropic Thunder and Synecdoche, New York. Yeah, or, or although the reader, I mean, that's the thing. Like the reader was a Best Picture nominee with a bunch of nominations, but mm-hmm. also the makeup in that movie was made fun of a ton at the time for like how horrible the old age makeup on Kate Winslet is. So like might've even been the wrestler. I feel like it could have been the wrestler. Hot take the reader is one of my least favorite best picture nominees of the whole 21st century. Yeah. It's really bad. It's really bad. I saw it and I just couldn't get what the appeal was not to mention Kate Winslet was nominated for the wrong movie um she was way better in my opinion in revolutionary road and it was a weird thing like he sleeps with a woman who's also like a mass genocide committer uh and you're supposed to like like have this yeah. intimate time but it's so weird yeah the reader is not good <laughs> there's just no two ways about it it's not good um, uh, it's also like thinking about how many movies that we've talked about that it bumped out of Best Picture back when they had five. Yeah, like about, The Dark like, Knight. Um, like, like I've read a bunch of Dark uh, Knight, Doubt. Yeah, I ended up looking uh, uh, at a bunch of like nomination predictions from this year that are still like archived online, uh, just to see like one what the tenor of people talking about Robert Downey Jr. was, and it seems like they were all like. Yeah, he's probably going to get this nomination. Uh, uh, he's not like the surprise ones. Kind of are uh, Michael Shannon, who I don't think got any precursor nominations, but was still in the I conversation. Do think he deserved it. Yeah, like he gets cited. I, he may have won like the the satellite award, but we look at these nomination predictions, and it's like Ledger, Hoffman, Downey Jr., Brolin. And then sometimes a Brad Pitt and Burn After Reading or a Brendan Gleeson <laughs> or a Ray Fiennes and the Duchess who also got Globe nominated. Um, I don't think I've heard of that movie. To be I honest. don't think I know much about it either. But then like all of those I will just, have Michael Shannon like listed as like could be a, a possibility. Uh, and then, yeah, Josh Brolin, who doesn't get the Globe nomination or the BAFTA nomination, but shows up at Critics' it's Choice. It's only Oscar and, nomination to date. Yeah, yeah. Uh which is sort of like a, a follow up to No Country for Old Men and Milk is a big movie that, that plays well with the Oscars and Sean Penn wins and it wins the screenplay award. So he, interesting because like yeah. You mentioned No Country. You had like the year before and then that year with Heath Ledger winning. It's like two of these iconic villain performances and supporting actor. Yeah, uh, and I then the next year with Inglorious Bastards too. Is there a real right? It's like one, this two, three, trio punch. of these like lovable, not lovable, but you enjoy these villains so much that you don't yeah. want to stop watching them. And villains they, that like also have become have become extremely iconic in the the film language. Like you'll 
you can mention just the name Anton Sugar in a regular conversation and people you say coin that, toss in movies like yeah pe- people that aren't movie people people that aren't Oscar people are still going to be like oh yeah no country for old men uh which is mark of a real real compelling character to have a name like that become so indelible uh what else about Oscar stuff here. It gets like a, a cinema editor's nomination for best edited comedy or musical. Uh, I mean, let's see what what was nominated for film editing that year. It's a it's Slumdog has to have won, I imagine. It's yeah, uh, Benjamin yeah. Button, Dark Knight, Frost, Nixon, and Milk. Yeah, which is li- I feel like Tropic Thunder could have been six or. Seven. Seven, just cut not six yeah. or seven, but like on the top ten. Yeah, it's in of the conversation. The, the yeah. trailer editing, I feel like it could have been. A yeah, especially that, like with that, and the scenes where it, it is, you know, because this movie, there's like a a couple different moments where it, it falls into just being an action movie, and a very well paced action movie where like when they're infiltrating the heroin den or whatever, you're cutting back and forth between different people in different parts of this this like uh setup or whatever and you have to keep the pace and keep the tension building and then when it blows up literally uh and they're all shooting at each other and blowing shit up like you have to keep track of where everyone is and it's very well edited in that way in a way that like comedy movies don't often get mentioned like editing is so instrumental in making comedy movies work for the most part because you have to keep the timing of jokes and you have to keep the pacing and you have to like almost more so than any other genre comedy movies rely on editing so much to work and they're so underrepresented in the best editing category that in a this lot would of been, comedies yeah. like the jokes count on the editing like i was surprised for example that once upon a time in hollywood wasn't even nominated for editing yeah. that year yeah, that was a real so weird one. I feel like, I think maybe the explanation is they already had their quote token action movie in film editing with the Dark Knight. I say quote, I say in quotations because it's not really token because the Dark Knight has amazing editing. Yeah, but I think that's a still a really good lineup. I mean, also not to mention Benjamin Button is one of my favorite movies and came out that year. Yeah, yeah. This is a this is a weird year for the Oscars when you look back on some of these movies, but uh. Especially because of the reader. Yeah, the reader's maybe mainly the big one. That's um the, the real sort of like the one that sticks in your craw or whatever. Uh and I do want to mention these because they're not really precursors in the traditional sense, but they do show up on the IMDB awards tab, so we're going with it. So uh at the MTV movie awards, uh this gets oh, bring it on, bring it on. for uh best WTF moment for the scene where uh Stiller uh licks the head licks the the i want to know what head it was um oh i didn't write it down let me let me pull that up real quick let's now i'm curious now that you brought it up we have to finish this it was it's something weird uh i did write down though that robert downey jr was nominated for uh actor here not for uh tropic thunder but for iron man which he loses MTV. but he loses the uh MTV award there to Zach Efron for High School Musical 3 
Let's see. MTV. Way to make a comeback to Hollywood. It would have been hilarious if he had lost to like Ben Stiller. That would have just been so like poetic. Okay, best WTF moment. Oh, it's uh, uh, from the movie Baby Mama, the Tina Fey, Amy Poehler movie, where uh, apparently Amy Poehler pees into a sink. Uh, I haven't seen it, so I can't. It's not as, that's nowhere near as WTF as the gun in the severed head. That's That's nowhere near as WTF. Yeah. I haven't even seen this movie. And like, come on, bro. Come on, MTV voters. I don't know who you are, but show yourselves. And then it also gets multiple nominations. uh, And for a, a... an awards body that is name dropped in the movie Tropic Thunder, the Teen Choice Awards, uh, where St- Ben Stiller is nominated for Choice Movie Actor for this and Night at the Museum too, and he loses to Zac Efron for Seventeen again. Big year for Zac Efron. <laughs> uh, nominated <laughs> for Choice Movie Hissy Fit for Robert Downey Jr., uh, which he loses to Miley Cyrus for the Hannah Montana movie. Uh, Are you and kidding me? Is nominated for Best Bromantic Comedy. Which it loses to Marley and Me. Why even nominate it if you're already planning on giving it to all these like no idea? Movies? To be you, fair, it is also Disney Channel. Movies. It is also the Teen Choice Awards there, and this was an R-rated movie, so like it's not right, so like all the anything. teens are rushing out to see this and and put it on their ballots for the Teen Choice Awards. Yo, uh, I found my ways to getting into Deadpool in theaters when I was 13 and a half. So, yeah, you know, people have their tricks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Did we want to talk about this? I mean, we did kind of talk about the supporting actor lineup already or some of them. We talked or at least we talked about uh, uh, Shannon and and uh, uh, Brolin. But these other two, Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight and uh, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman in Doubt. Very good performances. You can see why those two are considered like the ones that are getting nominated everywhere. The ones that are like kind of no brainers for this nomination, not just for the the you know the tragic side of Ledger's nomination, but also like that's a justifiably considered an undeniable performance in a movie I don't super love. Like I rewatched it semi recently, and I don't really love The Dark Knight as a movie, but I do uh-huh. think Ledger is justifiably you know considered an iconic performance in a way that like even if he hadn't passed that's still a performance that you can absolutely see steamrolling a season and become like getting him that oscar regardless and again superhero performances kind of like goofy comedy performances a bit of an outsider besides that we have what joaquin phoenix and joker and angela bassett and black panther wakanda forever it's like not as common, but I think it was again the gravity of him having passed at this time a year before, and just I do think he's incredible, and I think he was like one of the best supporting actor winners of yeah. the 21st century. I think I, I also agree that it was just one of those years where it was a lock because it was such a commanding villain. It was so psychotic, like he disappeared. I can. Not until maybe the last time I rewatched The Dark Knight can you even like see his face that much because he's just you just see like the makeup and the posture acting. and and the the way he mm-hmm. talks and holds himself is like a genuine transformative performance that it's just not him in there it feels like and like to the point that you are getting reports of 
this performance being a barn burner, being an all timer from the set, like from just like on set people were like the rumor mill was like, Oh, this is going to be a performance to watch. This is going to be an all time great long before there was like any talks of like, Oh, well, this is a legacy win. This is, you know, honoring a, a, a young talent that was taken too soon. Like before any of that, people were talking about this being an Oscar worthy performance, which is a real testament for anyone that's like, oh, well, he just won because he died, which uh, is, is not the case. And then Philip Seymour Hoffman in doubt, also an incredible performance that like uh, kind of like the rest of this lineup does get overshadowed by the legacy of Ledger's performance. But like Hoffman in doubt is also just like so commanding and so skillful with what he's doing with that material so like nauseating in a way that like is 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 unnerving without playing the outright potential of that performance because it's a character that you're supposed to be left up in the air about up until the very end and he's yeah he's so good at playing that level of like charming discomfort or you don't know whether you want to believe this guy or if you're only believing him because you want to believe him or if you really do believe him at all like it's a it's a magic performance to to again a balancing act where if you fall to even like half an inch to either end of that balancing act you're just gonna fall and the whole thing falls apart because you're playing either too obvious or too subtle and he's just so what he's doing with that material is really incredible. Would this be so let me ask you that. What is your favorite Philip Seymour Hoffman performance? Where it's, does this lie? Because it's tough because he's like my favorite actor, and there's so many all-timers. Mm-hmm. Like I think my favorite probably is still the master, but like yeah. If you draft up a list of like any 10 performances by his, you're going to get a great set of performances no matter what you pick. But I do think I doubt, say, doubt probably makes my top 10, if not even maybe my top five. I would say the master number one, like you, and then possibly doubt number two. Like I love his performance in Capote, but I think I'm just a little biased of having seen doubt before and letting that movie, like my thoughts on that movie sink in. I only saw Capote last year. It's a great movie. He probably, I don't remember exactly who else was on it, but he did deserve the win. Yeah. I do think he's amazing in doubt. And I think that movie also, let's talk about it, got four Oscar nominations just for acting. And I think it was a movie that, you know, it works because of the plot, but it also works because Philip Seymour Hoffman's there in every scene. Like you said, he's really warm, but he like surrenders that within seconds because there's an unease that, may or may not be attributed to uh to something immoral there i yeah i think i feel like if he was still with us uh philip seymour hoffman would be considered one of the greatest of all time like oh yeah i think like even with what we were lucky enough to get from him he has that legacy like absolutely tied to his performances but like you really do just feel for all the great performances that we lost from him and Ledger, which like that's sort of tied together because like Heath Ledger's other Oscar nomination is for Brokeback Mountain, which is the same year as Capote. So like you have them 
nominated against each other twice and you have like it's hard to talk about one of them without the other in terms of their oscar legacy and in terms of them yeah and and just i was watching yeah i was watching a knight's tale and heath ledger has this insane charisma that i feel like he would have been a really big leading man had he not passed as well yeah back to like philip seymour hoffman I feel like he would have, he would have just surprised us so much more. He would have, he would have done so many cool things because, like, yeah, even his movie Synecdoche, New York, is about pushing the boundaries of art. Or he he shows up in Almost Famous for like two or three scenes, and he just steals it. Or in Punch Drunk Love, yeah, like you said, there's so much, there's such a career there for us movie lovers as to be mourned as well as the man. Yeah, yeah, just the the two incredible talents. Uh, Really, really, no better way to say it. Absolutely. Uh, uh, yeah. Is there anything else about these Oscars that we want to talk about? Again, this isn't the type of movie that you can necessarily be like, oh, well, let's have an academic discussion about whether it deserved like a score nomination or whatever. It's a it's a fun blockbustery comedy that the fact that it was even considered for Oscar nominations to begin with is kind of a miracle. Uh, but yeah, uh, uh, anything else about this year's Oscars here, or do we want to move on to some closing thoughts? I mean, you know, we had five nominations for the longest time, uh, you know, so obviously there's a lot, to, there's like at least five other movies that we would argue should have got in for Best Picture before The Reader, including yeah. some we just talked about, like Doubt and The Wrestler and The Dark Knight. But had they, you know, had already 10 and you know, perhaps the reader was still there in that 10. Maybe Tropic Thunder is when we could have argued would have been a much nicer pick than the reader. Yeah, like it. I could see a case. I don't think it was probably in that top 10, but I could see a case where like this has a year of 10 and you fill it out with like it's it's the Dark Knight and Wally and the wrestler and doubt and then Tropic like, Thunder's maybe like 14, 15. Yeah, Tropic, look, because, again, it has that, like, sort of, th- the fact that it's a movie about movies definitely gives it a leg up over some of the, like, this is in an era where, like, the Apatow comedies were consistently getting, like, WGA nominated, like, Knocked Up and 40-Year-Old Virgin, and all these movies are oh, really? coming close to screenplay nominees, but it just never materializes. But like Tropic Thunder has the advantage of being a movie about movies and it has like a, a even a, a modicum of prestige attached to it. So you could see a case where like, because it made a lot of money and was a zeitgeisty thing. And because people liked it, maybe somehow it sneaks in and ends up as like a, a 10th place in, in, in like a very specific timeline. It would have to take to get there. But like, it wouldn't be the, I mean, I guess it would be the first time, but there have been other cases where movies end up with just a best picture and one acting nomination since this the expanded post. lineup. Yeah, like The Post, like The Blind Side, like Extremely Loud and Incredibly mm-hmm. Close. I think it's maybe it's just those three, but uh, uh, Tropic Thunder, I could see a case where somehow that happens. It would be strange, but not the strangest thing in the world. Yeah, look, in a world where 
like you said, extremely loud and incredibly close gets nominated for Best Picture once they expanded. And even Bridesmaids didn't get in. Realistically, I did. I don't think that Tropic Thunder would yeah. have in that case, but it would have been a really fun discussion to have. Yeah, it's it's fun to think about at the very least. Uh, uh, yeah. Is there anything else here, or do we want to move on to our closing thoughts? Just some closing thoughts. All right. So, in your fantasy world, where you get to pick all of the Oscars, and you don't have to worry about a comedy bias or anything like that. Uh, what nominations would you have given to Tropic Thunder? Hmm. So again, because it's, all right, let's say, are we saying it was five nominations for Best Picture or 10? Whatever you, like, it's your fantasy world. You get to pick whatever you want. Let's say it's 10. And so we got Slumdog Millionaire, Benjamin Button, Frost Nixon, Milk. And then you would probably throw in Dark Knight, Doubt, The Wrestler, not The Reader, A Revolutionary Road. Actually, no. Yeah, so there would be more movies that I would put, like Wally in Bruges, Happy Go Lucky, I would still probably put in over Tropic Thunder. Maybe it wouldn't make my top 10 of 2008, but it would be a very vocal honorable mention. Yeah. Um. So, supporting actor... I would personally give it a double nomination there for Downey and for what's his name for Tom Cruise <laughs> and original screenplay. I mean, I don't know if I'm allowed to take out Frozen River. Yeah, you can but... take out whatever you want. It's it's your Oscars. Yeah, because I haven't seen Frozen River. But if we're keeping those again, you said there were some better films there that weren't nominated. But you know, for it would it would make me excited to see Tropic Thunder there for original screenplay. Ben Stiller and Justin Thoreau. And then probably like sound editing because I, I'm looking here and Wanted got nominated for oh, both yeah. sound editing and sound <laughs> mixing. And I just think Tropic Thunder is a far better film than Wanted. I'm not a big fan of that movie. And then uh, let's say we expand makeup to five and we put Tropic Thunder in there. And then... Um, and then... I don't know if this would count as an original song, but best original song for I Love That Pussy. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. It's a great shit. Just to throw it out there. Yeah, why not? Jackson gets some recognition if if it's eligible. We'll, We'll say it's eligible. Screw you if it's not. Yeah, those are, those are like, I could absolutely. I would. I'd keep the Downey nomination. It's great. I would, at, at the very least, heavily consider a Tom Cruise nomination because, like we said, he's so memorable with such little screen time that he like looms large over this entire movie and is one of the most like iconic parts of this movie, which is a real show of his his presence here. Uh, yeah, like I don't want to crap on. Josh Brolin and Milk because he is great. I just think in my memory, like if I'm choosing, he's a little more overshadowed because he's a lot more restrained and Sean Penn and Milk is more showy. In yeah. my opinion, he deserved his win. But then Tom Cruise is just a fan favorite, a personal favorite character of mine. Exactly. So I'm deciding the nominations. Cruise overtakes Josh Brolin. Yeah. For the rest I, day. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I think those sound nominations would be really cool. There's a lot of gunfire and explosions that are like integral to this movie that mm -hmm. work really well. And like the layering of the music in those those song scenes um where he's dancing, even just Apple the way Apple. yeah, the ways they use mm -hmm. like uh uh sympathy for the devil and uh 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 for what it's worth, which are like such obvious pulls to put in this pseudo Vietnam movie in a way that like, they're still used really well and, and like to comedic effect for using these such obvious songs. They still work really well. They're only having... missing. They're only missing. So they're only missing fortunate son, which is like fortunate son Vietnam and all along the watchtower and you're good. You're yeah. golden. Um, uh, That's why yeah, missed out on that sound. Yes, you put in those sound nominations. Um, honestly, I would maybe even give it a visual effects nomination. Again, those explosions work really well. And it's a movie where visual effects are like a part of the movie. You have a visual effects it's guy show up in this movie. Yeah, you have this. In I wonder if it was five. Like, I wonder what was in the shortlist that year. I and actually you also couldn't have the, find that one. But you also have the, um, the Scorcher scene this is some really immersive visual effects. yeah let's see did it make okay no wait, wait, the, the it didn't it was australia it's... hellboy 2 the journey to center of the earth and the mummy tomb of the dragon emperor I interesting exactly zero of those movies i as I well i wonder why <laughs> australia made that seen. there's probably plain stuff that's a war that's movie right i haven't seen it yeah oh it's it's a there's there's bombing in world war ii that makes sense i guess uh but yeah i could throw this in there for sure and then yeah i would give this a makeup nomination i think it's mm -hmm. incredibly memorable like even if you take away downey jr's like the the black face they have on him you take that away and there's still some really impressive makeup design going on here and uh it, it's what the movie is maybe most remembered for overall and uh it's 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 good work. It's well designed in a way that feels integral to the movie itself and the story being told. And yeah, I, I would I would give it that nomination. If I'm if I'm even only giving it one other nomination, I think that's the one I'm going for. But yeah, there, there's a handful like, it would it would easily deserve. I'd say it's a movie that's just so like goofy and balls to the wall in how it portrays Hollywood and movie making. That we forget how like meticulous and effortful the process actually is for it to feel so effortless. Yeah. Um, which is why I would have actually loved to see it get all those nominations you just mentioned. Yeah, I could absolutely see a world where this is just like somehow a movie that got four or five Oscar nominations and we all look back on it like, isn't that so cool? Uh, but hey, it got the one nomination and uh, we got to talk about it here, so... Not complaining too oh, much. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think that'll do it for this conversation. Thank you so much for coming on. It's a great time talking about a fun movie with you. Uh, do you have anything you want to plug in where people can find you? Yeah. So I'm um, at Film Toppings on Instagram. That's where I do most of my movie posts. And you can also find, I have a podcast with my friend Alan. Oh, you run. It's Film Fanatics Pod on Instagram and Film Fanatics on YouTube as well as Spotify. We do. Um, like episodes right now every couple of weeks but we're planning on having more stuff when the summer kicks off 
and you can check us out there as well. Right on. Yeah, check all that stuff out. Uh, you can find this show on Twitter and Letterboxd at Lone Acting Noms and on Instagram at The Lone Acting Nominees. That'll be it for this episode. Thank you for listening. Heads up! Heads up! Here's another one, another one, and, a, and, a, and another one. Why you all in my ear talking a whole bunch of shit that I ain't trying to hear? Get back, motherfucker, you don't know me like that. Get back, motherfucker, you don't know me like that. Take it down, get back, motherfucker, y'all know me like that.